today I want to uh, just talk about um, actually a holiday that we as a church celebrate uh, called Pentecost. You guys familiar with Pentecost? Yes, I didn't say Pentecostal. It's different, Pentecostal and Pentecost, different. Pentecost is not a denomination. And some of you may say, well, you guys can have your Pentecostal thing. We'll have our John the Baptist. John is not Baptist. That's right. This is church jokes. It's, it's a little worse than dad jokes. Next week, I'll do dad jokes, and then we'll go from there. Um, but today, well, we celebrate... Uh, Pentecost, which is the outpouring of God's spirit on all mankind. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a sensitive topic because we associate, the conversation is about uh, the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we are not too comfortable with the Holy Spirit. We um, want the Holy Spirit, but we want him to do things how we have framed out for him. Do it this way, but not that way. God forbid, the Holy Spirit embarrasses us. Um, but then there are people who are, quote unquote, under the Holy Spirit that are embarrassing. And I question whether or not they're under the Holy Spirit. So those are not exclusively connected. Um, and I think that's why we... Um, um, we, ha we are hesitant when we talk about the Holy Spirit because I think we've seen so, so many wackiness in the name of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, you probably have had people tell you that the Holy Spirit is telling them to tell you something, and you're like, yeah, no, probably not. Um, you maybe have been in services where the Holy Spirit falls on the people, and they're just complete opposite of how you've met them the minute before. Um, and many times, once they're leaving the service, they go back to their normal selves. That's, I'm so sorry. The Holy Spirit is not weird. Um, I have to say that because we have weirdified the Holy Spirit. And I would hate for us to weirdify something and, 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 and restrict his movement and manifestation in our lives. But I want to talk about that today. And actually, we would, further in a year, we'll be talking about the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to dissect him, if I can say it that way. We'll go deeper in what the Holy Spirit is, who he is. We're also going to be talking about the gifts that he has given us, the gifts that the Father has given us, the gifts that Jesus has given us, and of course, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. Um, Kind of going back to the basics of our faith to some extent, um, but I, I do believe that sometimes the simplicity of what we believe, um, whenever it's lived out, it is the powerful walk that we're actually seeking for. We like to complicate and convolute things and try to overemphasize certain aspects of it. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll be talking about that. And, um, and Pentecost is a bit hard to talk about to some extent because, because it deals with power. It deals with power, and when you're dealing with power, people would rather stick to principles, right? They would rather be, just give me the pointers and let me move on. And our faith is not a faith of principles only. 
And that's what Pentecost is. Pentecost is about is not only about believing in Jesus and and having a, getting a, having atonement for our sins. The Holy Spirit is about the empowered life, not just the saved life. And the empowerment is for here and for now. But to just break it down simply, Pentecost is a feast of the church that celebrates the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles and disciples uh, of Jesus. And we'll read that here in a little bit. Um, but Pentecost concludes the Easter season. Uh, I know some of us, we've limited Easter to just the one day, which is with the Resurrection Sunday, very, very, very important. But there's this whole 50 days after Easter is Pentecost, and it concludes that whole season of celebration of, of, of life. Um, and then uh, Jesus also descends into heaven. We, 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 we see that happening um, after, oh, before the Pentecost. Um, and then um, the name actually comes from a, a couple of words, uh, Penti and Kosti. Penti is uh, five, and Kosti basically means to the tenth. So it basically means 50. That's really the simplicity of Pentecost. It means 50 days. So Pentecost is celebrating 50 days after resurrection. Pretty simple. Yes? No? We're on the same page? Good. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. What I'm going to do here, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture so that, I, so that the scripture can speak for itself about the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to zero in on one, on one main idea, one main point through this whole thing. But John is speaking, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John saying, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire so John is talking about his mission and he's talking about Jesus who he from the get-go says he's far beyond my grasp so whatever you think of me whenever you touch Jesus, when Jesus touches your life, when you're exposed to Jesus, he's far greater than I am. And then he's also saying that he will actually baptize you with something that he's calling the Holy Spirit and, and with fire. And then, so John, and if you want to say that John the Baptist, then John the Baptist is the one talking about the Holy Spirit in this verse. Um, sorry, I just couldn't resist the church joke. Um, John 14, 26. Now this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, but, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now pause for a second. Pause for a second. The Holy Spirit is... God and Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to represent him. 
the Holy Spirit is also going to teach his disciples and remind them of what he told them. He's telling him, I am leaving, but do not be afraid because someone else is coming in my stead. This someone is different and yet the same. And this is where the language of like the Trinity begins to come alive because you have Jesus who is God talking to the Father who is God, who is also talking about sending the Holy Spirit who is God. And so I'm not going to get into that this morning, but I, we will talk about that this year. But so you have Jesus. He's telling them from the get. Do you remember when, uh, when, he, when he died and he resurrected, right? He resurrected and the disciples were afraid. And he was like, look, guys, I told you. I told you this was going to happen. This is why I'm sending the Holy Spirit because you guys forget everything. You just forget, I just told you the night before what's going to happen is happening and you're like flipping out about it. The Holy Spirit will remind you of my words because you guys have short-term memory. Even back then, they had short-term memory. Um, but I think it's amazing because they walked with Jesus for three years. They were his disciples. That means that they were, they were not just hanging out casually. They were studying and learning from him. He taught them everything that they will need to accomplish the mission and to continue the mission that Jesus has launched. How would you go about teaching? What would you teach? What would you share? And so Jesus, he taught them, right? We read that he taught them. He also corrected them. He also connected them. He also modeled for them. He also sent them out. After three years of hands-on training, Jesus' final and critical command is the opposite of what we would actually say. And I want to point out the command that he gives them in light of the three years that he spent with, the, with, with them in light of their relationship. It was like their relationship was so close that when everyone left, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you guys leaving too? And they said, where are we going to go? When we're with you, we're with life. There's nowhere else to go, so we are here. Acts chapter 1. This is the passage that every Pentecost, every person who is in some sort of spirit-filled Pentecostal charismatic church is like, this is, their, this is their thing right here. Let's read the book of Acts. Um, so let's just read verse 1 and we're just going to Go down through five and then skip over and read eight. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. 
During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from the time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, say it, he commanded them, all right, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. I want to pause there. Because after Jesus taught them, after he showed them, he even after the resurrection, the road to Emmaus, he unpacked scripture for them. Like Jesus is the pinnacle of teachers. He's not just a great among or one among many. He is the greatest teacher of all at full capacity. The greatest teacher. And yet his final command was Wait. I don't get it. Wait? We're ready. No, you ain't. We got this. No, you don't. Te Jesus was the master teacher. Yes, and wait. And you know, as I'm reading this and as we talked a couple weeks back, that is still the most difficult position for us to be in. Wait. Wait. Wait for what? I think this wait is like his final lesson. And I think his final lesson is the most important lesson. And what his lesson is that all the principles and things that I've taught you are only going to be wise and, and you're gonna be smart and you'll know how to say things and, and you'll be living off of principles until you realize that these teachings were not meant to be by themselves just as teaching. The teaching is meant to be empowered by my spirit. And this is so profound because the Holy Spirit is the worker on our behalf. The reason that you are convicted for anything is because God loves you and his Holy Spirit convicts you. The reason that you can say Jesus saves and someone responds is because the power behind what you're saying is working on the hearer's life. This is why we can say anything and if the Holy Spirit doesn't move, it's just fancy words. 
And people may respond emotionally and you may think it's the Holy Spirit. But for someone to genuinely respond to the Holy Spirit, where their life changes, it requires the power of the Holy Spirit and not just the words that we speak. So to wait is to be fruitful in the mission that God has given them. To wait is to not supersede and not to go ahead of the one who will empower whatever it is that you have to present. Um, and this could be its own message on, on the, the concept of, of waiting because a lot of times waiting seems to be our go-to for laziness. Right? Like, and a lot of us feel guilty when we're doing nothing. And there is a difference between lazy and waiting on the Lord. Because when you're waiting, God is working. When you're waiting, God is moving mountains. When you're waiting, God is working on people's lives, people's hearts. So that whenever your word that is empowered connects to the spirit that's already been working, there is evidence. And it is so easy to start with the power of the Holy Spirit, but end with our own in our, and do things in our own strength. He's a great launcher. He'll launch us and we'll see God move. But if you look back, have you left him? And are you doing things in your own strength? And are you frustrated that the results are minimalistic? We read in verse 8, Acts 1 verse 8. There is a purpose behind the waiting. Because when you wait, this is what it says. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not so that you can just hang out in church all day and just enjoy God's presence and just live in your own bubble. Many times we want God's presence for us. But here we read, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The word witness is not just to share information the word witness could be translated as a martyr and it's not necessarily like a martyr of oh like physical martyr which we go to but it's going to require when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will have to kill things in yourself and once you begin this work with angels, once the Holy Spirit begins to cut things up inside your life, then you will become, you will come out as a true witness for his work in your life. And now he's saying, I'm on a mission. You'll be witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There is a mission associated with the Holy Spirit coming on his people. Now, 
Pentecost Sunday is a reminder that the gospel is really not just about principles only, but it is about the power. And the power is a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made. So Jesus is making good on his promise to his people. He's not only in us and, and he's not only with us, but he's also like on us. Now this is, I, I need to share this because um, at this moment, it would be safe to believe that if they seen Jesus resurrected and ascended, that they're probably saved. Right? Like, like they believe. They just don't believe in Jesus at this point. They believe Jesus. They don't believe in God. They actually believe God. There's a, there, there's a transition from wavering with your faith to then coming in and, and, being, a, and being, being solidified in what you believe. And because they obeyed Jesus, they were in the upper room as we, as, as we read later on. When the Holy Spirit fell on them, they were obedient to their Savior. And this is where there's a split when people talk about the Holy Spirit. Many times you may have grown up to say that, well, you know, um, once you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in you and that's it. And that's it. And some of, uh, some of you other people have grown up and, and basically said that the Holy Spirit is in you, but as soon as you sin, he leaves. And when you repent, he comes back in you. And then when you sin, he leaves again. And so the Holy Spirit is like, I don't know what to do. I'm just in and out of this person because they sin so much. Both of them are true to a degree. There is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that once you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And that's what we call salvation. Jesus paid the atonement, the Passover, the whole idea of, of, of being purchased. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us. This is something, not the word beyond, but in addition, because it's associated with purpose. Infilling means that, G, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will reside back. It doesn't mean that you're saved and unsaved. You're saved, you're sealed God, your, your place is secured with him. But what this is saying is that the Holy Spirit will overwhelm you. You will feel certain things. And then it will lift. It will descend and it will lift. And the Bible equates the Holy Spirit in this way of infilling as to drinking. Most of you probably have no clue what that feels like. And you lie, okay. Um, <laughs> but he, he, he equates the infilling of the Holy Spirit as to getting drunk. Such an odd comparison. Unless you look at the light where, where when you get drunk, one thing happens. And then when you become sober, you're a, you're a different person. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that you can invite him into. Or you could resist him and be like, I'm good. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
to the straight command, do not get drunk. Some of us are still questioning whether that's still in the Bible. Well, drunk, but what about buzzed? <laughs> what about if I do like 12 like other things? Like is this specific beers? Is it light? Is it? You have to understand that like, like the church, the early church was so bad they would get wasted on communion. Which is why we don't have wine here because y'all. Anyways. <laughs> The indwelling is the work of the spirit that happens that you have nothing to do with you and me. Our works, we cannot attain him to dwell within us. But the infilling is a decision that we make. Like God says, I will indwell you as much as you want me to. And many of us have adjusted our lives where we... Don't ever get infilled or filled with the Holy Spirit. We like to cruise. We like to say, well, as long as he saved me, that's good enough for me. This indwelling is a different question because the decision of whether or not God infills us is, is dependent on a couple of things. Not your church attendance or how many times or how, many, how long you stay prayer, prayer, you know, praying and reading the scripture and the, and the list that you, you and I may have of the things that we think God wants us to do. But, but, but more importantly, if you want the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the infilling and how often and how long he lasts is going to be, to be determined based on your and my surrender as individuals. How much you surrender, that is going to open up the floodgates of his spirit and filled in your life. Most of us are wanting God to infill us and we don't want to surrender. And he's like, ah, you choose. You want you in there or you want me in there? Surrender puts our dependency on him because now we're submitting to him and not to ourselves. So imagine if the reason you have not felt the Holy Spirit is because you have not submitted to him. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not about how much of the Holy Spirit we have. It's actually about how much of us does the Holy Spirit have? Think about it. You see people who are just sold out for God. And instead of it triggering you to be like, God, I want that. We become envious or critical. Huh. Well, they look weird. Yeah. But God's looking at you and like, dude, you look weird. My spirit is in you and you do not allow my spirit to lead you and to guide you and to continually infill you. But no, that's not kosher for us. We rather would stick to principles. And because we don't know how the power of his spirit is going to be manifested through our life, we would rather not touch it. 
And that's a mistake. Because as you surrender and submit yourself to the promise that Jesus asked his father to send on his behalf, you get what Jesus got. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now leave, leave that verse up for a second. I want you to see the correlation between two words. This word here, full, led. Full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. Could it be possible that whatever you're full of, you're led by? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. We'll just keep on reading. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus, because he was anointed and empowered, went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This is Paul writing, And my message and my preaching were in vain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I reply only in the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. thing is that if you read it if you read scripture you will see the how and the how is always different person to person season to season place to place the manifestation of the spirit is not the same continually you'll see a lot of examples of how how did Jesus heal people how did Jesus deliver people how did his disciples heal people how did they deliver people how did the early church walk in that power you will have examples of how and how in scripture outside of scripture and we can talk about that we can have principles about that but the thing that we cannot talk about and, and have principles for is your want to the how-to we get on a regular basis, but the want-to, the desire for this kind of a walk. It is the Holy Spirit convicting you this morning. Do you want to live an empowered life? Like, honestly, like, do you like your life that's predictable to some extent that you're in full control over? Because what happens when alcohol takes you over, you become more honest. 
right? You just begin to say everything that's on your heart. In most cases, you become a little bit friendly, a little too friendly. I'm, I just read this stuff. I don't know what that's like. My point is that you know that if a person is drunk versus a person who's not drunk. What this is not saying is behave like the drunkards. And that's what a lot of Pentecostals and Charismatics have taken from this whole scripture. Is that you just, just <laughs> are you crazy? No, that's not what it means. It's not what it means. It means that the Holy Spirit has control of your life. It means that the Holy Spirit is guiding you, that the Holy Spirit is leading you. Is that It means that the words that you say are now empowered by the Spirit of God. Now the hands that you use are empowered by the Spirit of God. It means that you walk into the room, everything in the spiritual realm pauses because something has entered the room that, is, that was not there before. And I get it. We are afraid of the Holy Spirit because we've seen some wacky people interpret however they felt like and align it with the Holy Spirit and there's no difference. And if you can be like, dude, that's not Holy Spirit, that's just you. And they're like, no, it's not, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. You need the Holy Spirit. And it's not to mock or it's, it's, it's not to make fun of of people, because sometimes when the Holy Spirit does come upon you, we respond differently. Like, we all respond differently. Some people cry, some people laugh, some people just fall on their faces before God. Some people lay down and just, and, and just like, just prostrate themselves before God. Some people just start talking, some people just start singing. And I think what's sad is that we don't even know, in many, in many maybe, I don't know, maybe, I don't know where you guys are, but Many people don't know what it's even like to be infilled with the Holy Spirit. They will cry at the movie theater because Tom Cruise, you know, is able to bring everything home at the end of the two hours. <laughs> but when someone cries in church, we say, oh, it's just so, you're so emotional. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we, it's so easy for us whenever we're lacking the infilling of the Holy Spirit to criticize others. And the Bible talks about the church being a place where there is a, 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 a structure where things are happening in a, in a timely manner. When the Holy Spirit falls upon you, it doesn't mean that just everything goes out the window. It could. But that's not the default. It could. But that's the thing is that your last experience with the Holy Spirit's power, presence, is like the gauge for your next one. And if he's not going to move in the same way, you may have missed him because you weren't looking for him. You were looking to a form of him that you were comfortable with. Or maybe you keep yourself away from it because the last one you saw filled with the Holy Spirit was just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right? Like, like it's like, I don't want none of that. So if, the, if Jesus, if all the things that he did 
all the things that he taught, all the principles that he gave, all the hands-on assignments that he's given his disciples, all of that was not enough. What Jesus taught them was not enough except empowered by the Spirit. Let that sink in because a lot of times we just want the teaching. We just want the points. We just want the principles so that we can move on and do the things in our life. And what if God is like saying, look, wait. Not just wait until the next job or until your prayers get answered. No, wait until the Holy Spirit moves. Like let the reality of what that would look like in your life, let's sink in. The most awkward thing to do is to wait. It's the most awkward thing. And I think that's where Satan gets us. Like, what are you doing? Don't wait. Always. Someone's always speaking. Talk, talk, talk. No. In counseling, silence is the greatest tool for people to be able to speak on what's really going on. And sometimes silence is the moment where God actually heals them. And we're so trained to do, 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 go, 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 sing, sing, sing. So when someone asks us to wait, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And this is what I was talking about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about prayer. The moment of silence and solitude. Waiting upon the Lord. Because your strength comes from him. And if you're not waiting for him, then you're still operating in your own strength. Last scripture, we'll be done. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Yes, that's in the Bible. I think we'll have it up there. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that, we, that what we say is true, what we said was true. And you know now of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. I love this scripture because it's, it's, uh, it's aligning a person's lifestyle with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just being loud about the Holy Spirit and the work and, and, and his power, but it's saying, look, we're talking to you about the power of the Holy Spirit, and you've also seen it in our life. Hands on. Now, this last verse, <laughs> I'm just going to read it and let it speak for itself. First Thessalonians 5.19. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Some translations say, do not quench the Holy Spirit. You could, you could expound on that word, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not dismiss the Holy Spirit. 
do not ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I truly believe that a lot of the mistakes that we have made is because we quench the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of the moments we can identify where God moved in our life was, in, was whenever we listened to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Hey, call James. Hey, James, I don't know why, but I just wanted to call you. Thanks for calling me, man. Man, my wife left me. Oh, wow. Hey, but I just wanted to text you. How are things? Not good, man. Hi, right, let's grab coffee. Hey, I feel like I have a word for you. Remain, be steadfast. <laughs> Hey, I'm listening to your situation and I just feel like there's a story in scripture about Jehoshaphat. I get it. That story just resonates with what's going on in my work. Talking with someone, oh yeah, I, I was talking with this other person and they said this and this and yeah, I just feel like I need to share this with you. All these promptings of the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit working. And what we do because we have been deceived is we take the most over-exaggerated manifestation of God's presence in someone's life and we put that in a box and say, I don't want that. And we're doing the thing that God has told us not to do. Don't judge someone else. You don't know what they've been through. For you, that may seem over the top. For them, they're just getting started. And I know, like, this does not eliminate discernment. But there's preferences in our lives that if it doesn't align with how we walk, we dismiss it. Again, it goes back to us and God are in unison. So if it's not what I feel, what I think, it's not of God. And God's like, ouch. And he doesn't tell us right away. He shows us. He shows us. So, I know we a couple weeks ago we ended on this like soft note as well and I think it's really appropriate to to do this because God is working the Holy Spirit is working on our lives like right now in the room and those who are watching and next week we'll have uh, a whole nother uh, different kind of service we'll talk about our previous trip to Ukraine so I encourage you to invite and bring people for that we'll talk about God's mission um, and there will be a message as well I think I promise I, I hope uh, but we'll share and we'll have a video about our previous trip so I'd encourage you to, to come next week but for right now for these last few minutes as the band comes up we will wait on the Holy Spirit and 
And the Holy Spirit could talk to you in a way that you may have never heard him talk to you before. And most likely he's already started speaking to you and you're waiting for booming, a booming voice to audibly say something. And God's like, I'm already talking to you. I'm already talking to you. I'm already convicting you. I'm already guiding you. I want to do more, but you're continuing to suppress me. You're continuing to quench me. You're, you still have things in your life that you have not surrendered, that you have not submitted. You're, maybe you're, you're happy with where you are and, and the extent. Maybe you're good with God just showing up in like public worship services like this. And, and maybe you, you go places with God here. And, and I love that because that's the point of Sunday services is for us to come together and, and share with one another the things that God is doing and the overflow of His, of His presence. But, but, but if this is the only place where you feel and you connect with God, then you're leaving Him in this building and He was not designed to be in buildings. He goes with you if you take Him with you. It's not a salvation question. It is the empowering question.